everyone. I'm LaQuinta Jernigan um, from MD Group. Welcome to today's MD Talk. Today, we are going to discuss raising awareness in clinical trials and diverse communities and how we can do that effectively. I am really excited to welcome our guest today um, to the show. We have Dr. Allison Matthews, the CEO and founder of Community Expert Solutions. And I'm also joined today by um, Rashad Galloway and Desby McDaniel, who are both co-founders of Clinispan Health. Community Expert Solutions exists to identify and develop crowdsourced ideas that promote health equity and improve clinical research engagement. Their current projects include Digital Links, an online platform that matches people to patient assistance programs, and the state HIV medication assistant program, completes the applications on their behalf, and connects them to healthcare providers and their network. ClinicSpan Health's mission is to improve access and diversity in clinical studies. Their platform allows people to easily find and inquire about clinical studies that are right for them. And they work with a number of nonprofit partners to support their commitment to diversity and representation. Welcome Dr. Matthews, Rashad, and Desby. Dr. Matthews, do you wanna tell us a little bit more about Community Expert Solutions and what led you to found the organization? Sure. So Community Expert Solutions is a company that is co-founded my, by myself, um, Alexandria Anderson and Marcus Holly. And uh, the kind of initial desire for us to uh, leverage the expertise that community members have in creating their own solutions, hence the name Community Expert Solutions. So we do, we, we work with different research institutions, um, and, and community partners to uh, educate the community about clinical research. And that really started from our passion and our involvement in HIV clinical research and also HIV cure clinical trials and trying to uh, kind of garner community uh, support and, and involvement in the clinical research process. Amazing. Well, I'm definitely glad that you did, along with your um, your colleagues, found such an amazing organization. I think that it's going to do wonders for this industry and already and already has. Um, and Rashad and Desmi, tell us a little bit more about ClinicSpan and how it came to be. Yep. So um, myself and Rashad and our third co-founder is Dr. David Lipsitz. So I think um, I speak for myself and Rashad. I really feel like we experienced the kind of the patient side of this where we saw family members who were taking drugs that affected them adversely. Um, and they would take improper dosage amounts, see those inverted side effects. Um, and I would say for myself, I didn't really realize the origin of that problem um, when, when I was growing up and, and seeing this experience. Um, and then I came, we, we met David and, and David experienced it from the physician side where he saw patients who came in and he would give them drugs that affected them, affected them adversely um, and they would take improper amounts. And I think, you know, both of those views, um, we really we really saw it from both sides. Um, and we really felt like, you know, with, with David's position experience and exposure and um, our experience and exposure on the patient side that we really could you know, create something to address this. Um, and that's what ClinicSpan Health is. Um, and we really feel like, you know, it's very similar to Allison and Community Expert Solutions, I would say, in that um, community culture is really core to what we do. Um, it's, it's really core to getting people involved in medical research. Um, I, a community culture, I think, would be a phrase that um, 
I would say is the most important in the work we've done. Um, you know, being able to relate to someone and, and how they live their lives is really important. And us trying to come in and insert medical research into that. Um, so knowing their community culture is really important for being able to insert medical research into their everyday lives. Um, and so that's what Clinic Span Health is about. Shaw, would you add anything to that? Yeah, just to go a little bit more in depth about uh, ClinusFan. So we are the first software platform for people of color to access medical research. And this is super important for a couple of reasons. I'd say the most important being that the world is only getting more and more diverse. So as the world gets more and more diverse, having clinical research that is less diverse only advertently, you know, affects us. So um, with our software database, we're looking to A, educate and then B, enroll um, and just get people participating in medical research and also helping them to understand the importance of it to not only their lives, but the lives as of people of color as a whole. Wow. Well, thank you for that and for giving that explanation. And I think it is the perfect segue into some pretty powerful statistics around this topic. Um, for MD Talk, we always like to set the stage with data, true data and facts so that we can really address them with our with our discussion. And um, one, one statistic that I think leads right into Desby's comment on the experiences that he had and the experiences that your co-founder had with prescribing medications to people of color is that between 2008 and 2013, around one in five newly approved drugs demonstrated differences in treatment response across ethnic group, groups, leading in some cases to doctors prescribing drugs differently according to ethnicity. So there's a key point right there. Drugs, they, they, they aren't the same for all groups and it has to be addressed. And if we're not participate, uh, including these diverse groups in, in the clinical trials, then we can't get that right. In a review of 230 oncology clinical trials taking place between 2008 and 2018, only 145 included any information about the participants' race. Of those that did, approximately 78 participants, 76, sorry, percent of the participants were white, 18% were black, 3% Asian, and only 6% Latinx. And then one last statistic before we kind of dive into things, um, a 2014 study in clinical pharmacology and therapeutics found variations in how people from different ethnic groups reacted to around 20% of new drugs approved between 2008-2013. So that sets the stage for why we're here. So in our previous MD talk, we talked about the whole idea of diversity in clinical trials, why we're talking about it now, why it's such a hot topic of conversation today and you know what challenges we think you know the industry will have in trying to find a solution and today with you guys on the phone or participating in today's session i want us to talk about what we can do within these communities how do we raise awareness to this this um this huge challenge that we have how do we get diverse communities to want to participate in clinical trials so on that train of thought, Dr. Matthews, what do you perceive to be the biggest challenge in increasing diversity in clinical trials amongst minority groups? Well, uh, I think before we, before I go into that, I also want to make sure that it's clear that the, the differences in the kind of reactions to drugs is not due to any kind of difference, racial difference, quote unquote, as if black people are different than white people. It's more that our lived experiences, 
we have uh, higher rates of stress, higher rates of exposure to environmental toxins, etc. And that is actually also the reason why we should be engaged in clinical research. And one of the biggest challenges is that we have, you know, limited access to resources, limited access to healthcare, transportation, employment, safe housing, and those those um, systematic kind of uh, and institutional barriers also create barriers for us to participate in research because it's not at the forefront of uh, addressing our needs, even though on the long, in the long run, it does um, help address kind of those, those inequalities. And I also say that a, a big challenge is the researchers and the research institutions are not set up in a way to make it convenient and, and um, efficient for people of color to participate in research. So I think we also need to really take a hard look at research at ourselves, at research institutions, and how we can do better to accommodate and make it um, more um, accessible for people in the community. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, and Dr. Matthews, when you talk about how we're not set up for that, I mean, do you think that, are you referring to one of those key drivers being accessibility? So are you, you know, is the issue that maybe we don't have sites that are convenient to these communities or is it something bigger than that? It's, it's having locations where people can easily drop off and, or, and participate in the research by donating or, you know, participating in the blood draws or leukapheresis or whatever the case may be, having sites in the community so that also goes to infrastructure because you oftentimes don't have healthcare clinics or healthcare sites that are located within communities of color. Um, and then on top of that, I think, uh, you know, trust, right? And, and there's a whole set, uh, set of issues related to trust in the way that we're being treated. And then also kind of having uh, staff members and research staff who are from our communities and who look like us and who can communicate with us and explain the terms in a way that is easily understandable to us. Those, those all contribute to the, the issues that we have. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, Des, um, from your standpoint, you know, Dr. Matthews raises a good point about trust. So you have accessibility, you have trust. Which do you think is going to be the most important to tackle first, or do they need to be tackled simultaneously because they're just such huge factors and participation? Um, yeah, so I think trust and accessibility are both about equally important. Um, and I would really say that trust comes first because the rapport that you build with the patient, uh, the potential patient, leaves them open to being educated about clinical trials um, and open to exploring access. Um, and so once you have that trust uh, built with them, that you then become partners in trying to create accessibility. Um, and I think it will be harder to try to create access, you know, together with someone who they don't have trust with you. Um, and you might not have trust with them. And so I really think that, you know, they, they definitely both are necessary, but I think trust would, would definitely precede accessibility. Yeah, I think you have a point. And, you know, trust is one of those things, you know, our industry loves to have data that we can measure, <laughs> you know, we want to have metrics and trust is like hope and belief and it's really hard to tackle that. So, um, Dr. Matthews, we'll start with you. How, how does Community Expert Solutions tackle that challenge? How do you build trust within these, these communities? That, 
Yeah, it's it's difficult, but I think it's it's definitely doable. So the way that we build trust is um, through relationships. Uh, many of the uh, organizations that I work with, I am a member of, like Delta Sigma Theta. Right, you start with organizations that you are already a member of and who they know you. They've known you for a long time. They chose you to be a part of the organization, um, and then and then you kind of. You, you want to make sure that you have a continued presence in the community. You don't just come in and ask for what you need and then leave, but you're also giving back to the community um, that the organization, the research institutions are taking the time to be as transparent as possible about where the funding is coming from, explaining the, the, the risks and the kind of the level of involvement in the, in the research uh, study and, and taking the time to, you know, talk to them as many times as they want to and as many times as they need before they make decisions. Um, and, you know, just kind of being that resource for them and also supporting their initiatives because oftentimes, you know, they're doing work in the community that goes unfunded and unsupported. And so there's a lot of opportunity for that partnership that I think can help build trust. I think you make a really good point there. I mean, just being true partners, um, so it's not such a one-way street, um, could go a, a long ways. Um, Rashad, do you have anything you want to add to that about trust and building it within the communities? For sure. Um, to Dr. Matthew's point, you know, building those relationships within the community are key. Um, and at Clinton Spend Health, the two main ways that we go about doing that are partnering with organizations who already have that connection in those communities, and then also uh, working with individuals in the community who have good relationships with the people that they are, you know, working with and around in order to be able to further educate them on what's going on to then hopefully, you know, get them enrolled in a trial and just to give them a better general understanding of what clinical research is and how it affects them. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, trust is a huge factor, right? I mean, we know that accessibility is a huge factor and I feel like, you know, accessibility can be solved. We can find ways to bring on community centers and sites that are not used to participating in clinical research. We can provide the tools and resources that those sites need, but trust, you know, as Des mentioned, trust has to come first. And there's so much mistrust out there and within the, um, the you know, within these communities when it comes to, medical research, not just medical research, but just medical practices in general, um, because of, you know, history, things that have happened in the past, and even, you know, the disparities that exist today, um, you know, in 2021. So I think that the trust factor is going to be a huge factor that we have to overcome as an industry. Um, so it's great that, you know, you, you both have solutions that can address some of those factors. But now I want to talk a little bit about what's the word on the street so you guys are out there your teams are working within communities every day um, addressing some of these challenges what are the physicians and the potential patients and the community leaders what are they saying about clinical research what is some of the feedback that you receive from within these communities um, i don't know if des maybe you want to take that one for us yeah um i think firstly on the physician side i think it's diversity in clinical trials is highlighted right now, I think more than ever. I feel like anytime I'm talking to a physician, they are understanding of the lack of diversity in trials. Um, I've never seen a problem stand out so much that everyone 
it's like, oh, yeah, that's such a huge problem. I've never seen reactions like that. Um, and so that to me just shows really how stark this problem is, how long this problem has persisted and how it really needs a solution. Um, and, and on the patient side, I would say I don't think that the lack of diversity in clinical trials is as well known um, as far as, you know, statistics or anything of that sort. But communities do know that they aren't involved. Like, I think people do understand that there is a maybe nervousness or a skepticism to getting involved in medical research. So I feel like that's pretty much still kind of where we stand is people are skeptical, especially, you know, with the pandemic and, and COVID times right now and the vaccine, a lot of people are then equating, you know, that is what they're talking about with medical research right now is the COVID vaccine. That's pretty much where everyone's mind goes. I feel like when I have a conversation and the conversation is kind of centered around that, um, and I feel like that is kind of the most recent thing that has given people a chance or reason to maybe have some mistrust. And I feel like that's where a lot of the conversations that central patients is centered around. Well, and let's be honest, COVID-19 has really accelerated this topic. More people than ever are aware of what a clinical trial is because of the attention that COVID-19 vaccine trials received. And I think that that's a huge testament to what could happen because COVID-19, the vaccines, uh, the trials, making sure everyone felt they were safe, it became like a public health um, type of initiative, you know, to explain how clinical trials work. This is why you can trust the safety of these vaccines. We really kind of could apply that overall to clinical research, and maybe that would kind of bring more awareness. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna switch over to you, Dr. Matthews, because I know that you've had a lot of success in you know kind of reaching out to these communities and working with community leaders. So in the work that you do, what are some of the community? What's some of the feedback you get from leaders within these these communities? Well. Um... I guess part of the way that we uh, get feedback, I think, is unique. And so the crowdsourcing you mentioned in our bio, crowdsourcing is this, we, we host contests to get um, community ideas and solutions and, and, for the, and it's an opportunity for them to also express concerns um, and their perceptions about research. And so we've done them, we did them on HIV cure clinical trials, we did them on HIV prevention trials, as well as now on COVID-19 vaccine trials. And a lot of what we hear from community and leaders um, is a concern that um, HBCUs and other community-based organizations have not been, uh, or, you know, there's this perception that they have not been involved in the clinical research process. They're not uh, being included as funded partners which not, is not necessarily totally true, but I think the extent that they're saying it's important for you to put money into our institutions that we trust um, as, as full partners in that, in that process is, you know, will go a long way. I think the other thing that we hear is, you know, what, not pushing people uh, to do one or the, one thing or the other, but just providing them with the information so they can make the most informed decision. And then once you've provided that information to make sure that they then have access, right? So uh, COVID-19 has been an interesting you know, journey because we've done so much work to educate the public and build that trust. And then they're like, okay, I've decided which vaccine I want to get. And then you try to go get it and it's 
it's a nightmare trying to get access to it, or at least it was, uh, you know, initially. And so that that then, uh, to Des's point, is the next step, right? We we built the trust, we built this knowledge base, and then we had the access issue. So, uh, right, mm-hmm. right. I mean, and I I think that as as people realized what a challenge accessibility was for the COVID-19 vaccine, you did see some amazing stories pop up where you had organizations that were driving, taking vans to communities to get those vaccines out. But if that could have been accelerated to the beginning, imagine how much you know faster we could have gotten vaccines into arms. But I think that that is a really good point, um, Dr. Matthews, because we can't we can't take for granted how large of an issue accessibility is. Yes, trust is a huge issue. We can, once we tackle that, accessibility is a large part of the problem and it, it can't be taken for granted, but it's also one that I think is very easy to achieve. I mean, look at, like I just mentioned, just simply sending vans out to communities, working with um, new sites. So it's one that can be achieved. We must realize the huge you know, challenge that it currently presents to minority groups. So. What do you think that the industry as a whole, clinical research, pharmaceutical, medical, the industry collective, what can we do um, to change? What can we do to take that first step to initiate change in the right direction? Um, Dr. Matthews, do you want to go first on this one? I'll let Rashad go since he looked like he had some response. Oh. <laughs> he was ready to go. <laughs> no, we're, we're all ears, Rashad. <laughs> I can definitely hit on that one. I would say one of the first things that needs to happen is the inclusion of people of color in the research process, not only as participants, but also as administrators um, and facilitators. We need more black doctors in the spaces because, you know, black people trust black doctors. Like, let's just keep it 100. You know, people of color trust the people who look like them, who provide care to the people that are in their communities. So I think that is one of the major things, making sure that, you know, we hire people of color to facilitate and participate in these trials. Um, Also, making sure that, you know, the doctors are also participating in the trials. That's one of the big things that I'm a proponent of as a student doctor at New York. Um, is making sure that I'm actually involved in the research process so that when I go talk to participants, I can tell them about what it was like in my personal experiences with it. And it's not such, you know, gray areas or, you know, guessing surrounding, you know, the process and what goes on. So, yeah, I think those are two major things that we can do immediately to help facilitate more diversity and inclusion within the clinical research space, for sure. I think in addition to that, um, so another in addition to the vaccine trial, I worked on another large uh, national trial that did surveillance of COVID-19 symptoms over the past year. And um, we were, when I came on board, I was very intentional about saying we need to um, hire minority and particularly black businesses as vendor vendors. So to, you know, and that's, that's an easy way to put some money back into the into the local community, um, and to show that this is not just for our benefit as a research institution um, or as a clinical research organization, but that we are the, this this funding that's coming from the federal government is also you know it's 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 advancing science, but it's also putting money back into the community and creating jobs, right? And so to Rashad's point, you know, 
also hiring and making sure that we are creating pipelines to train um, investigators like myself who, you know, who can be a part of and be at the decision making table for that. We also created a community advisory board um, that that had community leaders who were, you know, guiding that entire process throughout the year. And now they're they've become so influential in the work that we've done um, that now we're making it a permanent, um, you know, mainstay at the at the research institution where I worked. And so, you know, those I think, uh, you know, creating these kind of sustainable mechanisms for building that trust and maintaining that trust and relationship uh, and financial kind of mechanisms as well uh, go a long way. Well said. And I mean, I do feel that the momentum right now is like it has never been before. It feels to me that this is the time that change is actually going to happen in this space. I'm really excited um, to see what happens next. And I think just the fact that we're sitting here today and we have two organizations that are tackling this problem that the industry can lean on and, to, and can use to kind of reach some of these goals is a true testament to how far we've come. And so I am, I'm really looking forward to, you know, five years from now, I hope that we can have an MD talk reunion and we can look back and say, wow, look at how much change has taken place. Cause I, I think that we're on the cusp of something amazing happening. Well, I, I want to just kind of end today's session um, just by kind of asking you guys, both, uh, all, all three of you, um, what, what you would want a final takeaway to be. So for someone to just happen upon this, this uh, video cast or podcast, what do you want the takeaway to be that they can bring back with them to their organizations? Um, Des, why don't you go first? Yes, I've, I think I said this earlier, but um, community culture and cultural competence. I think cultural competence is really the most important thing that uh, the industry needs. If we are, you know, competent of a specific community, again, the way that they live, you know, the way that they eat, everything, if we can know every little detail about how they live their lives, that makes it easier for us to understand how to insert medical research into their lives. Um, and so I really think, for me, a blanket statement, if we have more cultural competence um, as it relates to clinical trials, I think then we make trust, accessibility, um, and involvement a lot more of a real goal that can be achieved. Thank you. How about you, Rashad? Um, along those lines with cultural competency, I would say the next thing that we need to focus on as an industry is just general transparency. So um, just making sure that basically people know exactly what's going to happen prior to it happening to them. Um, and then also just them having general knowledge of different trials and things that they can participate in and just having those better, better connections with the facilitators so they can, you know, again, enhance the trust and feel more comfortable when they're walking into spaces as such. Well said. And last but not least, Dr. Matthews. I would say that research institutions can also really take a hard look at how they design their protocol with the, with the intention of thinking about that the community members lived experiences and how to make sure that when they are participating in the research protocol, that it is, um, you know, accessible to them. So if you're asking people to come to a, a clinic site that 
you know, is far and not accessible by bus and you're asking them to come several times a week and take off work in the middle of the day and and then, you know, they, and you need to talk to another family member about these things. It's, it just creates uh, these huge barriers that are then biased toward people who are, have high income, who, who have flexibility in work and who have access to transportation, right? So though those it's that's a simple i know and i understand that that also is tied to science in the in the way that you have to design the the scientific inquiry but um thinking also logistically about how the protocol impacts um accessibility participation um can can i think uh, and with them within mind that cultural competence piece um is, is another kind of practical takeaway that I would love for us to see um, improve. You and me both, Dr. Matthews, I know we've talked about that before, having you know companies like ours um, at the table when it comes to protocol design is so important uh, because we are the ones that are closest to these groups, uh, through to the patients, um, and having that insight is just extremely valuable and achieving some of these goals. Well, thank you, you all so much uh, for being here today um, as guests on MD Talk. And thank you to all of you out there who have joined us to listen in. If you want to learn more about this topic, about the solutions that we've talked about today, you can find Community Expert Solutions, Span Health, and of course, MD Group on LinkedIn. Connect with us and we would love to share more insights and to gain any feedback that you have about this topic. But until then, I hope everyone has a wonderful, a wonderful day. And we look forward to seeing you at the next MD Talk. <music>